0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 1 of the Educating Investors Podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode, Is This Time Different? I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. This week's topic will deal with the economy and the probability of a recession and what that means for investors. This is a topic that seems to be discussed everywhere you look these days with very many differing opinions. Before we get into the discussion of the possibility of a recession, I believe a good place to start is with the definition of a recession itself. So what is a recession? The National Bureau of Economic Research, better known as NBER, defines a recession as a significant decline in economic activity spread across the economy, lasting more than a few months, normally visible in real GDP, real income, employment, industrial production, and wholesale retail sales. The media will often state the definition of recession as two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. Recessions tend to consist of two or more quarters of declining GDP, but not all of them. The NBER website, nber.org, is a wealth of information for investors who would like to learn more about the different business cycles the economy has gone through, going back to 1857. The NBER determines the start and end of recessions after the fact, so we will not know we have gone through a recession until it is over. Now that we know what a recession is, why is it important to investors? The first thing to understand is that recessions are normal parts of business cycles, According to the NBER, our economy has gone through 11 recessions from 1946 through present day. The average length of recessions over this time frame was 11.1 months. The Great Recession was a little longer, at 18 months. During recessions, there is a loss of jobs, with the employment rate ticking higher, corporate earnings dropping, and the stock market is normally lower. The average decline in the stock market from peak to trough around these recessions was around a negative 30% which means the average decline during these 11 recessions was in line with a bear market downturn. A bear market is a condition in which markets or indexes fall 20% or more from recent highs. With the effects of recessions being negative for the economy and the stock market, are there indicators out there to help determine the probability of recessions? A number of indicators are available that have been pretty successful in predicting the probability of a recession coming, But to make one thing particularly clear, none of them can tell you when exactly the recession is arriving. So let us discuss a few of these indicators in a little more detail. The first and one of the most popular recession indicators is the inverted yield curve. Before we go into an explanation of an inverted yield curve, I believe the best place to start is with a definition of what the yield curve is. The yield curve that I will be representing for this discussion is the U.S. Treasury yield curve. The yield curve is a plot of the yields on all treasury maturities, that is, debt sold by the federal government, ranging from one-month bills to 30-year bonds. A normal sloping yield curve has an upward slope because bond investors expect to be compensated more for taking on the added risk of owning bonds with longer maturities. When yields further out on the curve are substantially higher than those near the front end of the curve, the curve is referred to as being steep. So a longer maturity bond will deliver a much higher yield than a shorter maturity bond. When the gap or spread is narrow, it is referred to as a flat curve. In that situation, longer maturity bonds, for instance, may offer only a slightly higher yield than a shorter maturity bond. So what is an inverted yield curve? On rare occasions, some or all the yield curve ceases to be upward sloping. This occurs when shorter-dated yields are higher than longer-dated ones, and is called an inversion. Any inversion of the yield curve tells the same story, an expectation of weaker growth in the future. A yield curve inversion is a classic signal of a looming recession. When short-term yields climb above longer-dated ones, it signals short-term borrowing costs are more expensive than longer-term loan costs. Under these circumstances, companies often find it more expensive to fund their operation, and they cut investments. Consumer borrowing costs also rise, and consumer spending, which accounts for more than two-thirds of the U.S. economic activity, slows. So, with inverted yield curves being a good signal of an upcoming recession, I'm going to look at a couple of specific yield curves. The two mostly watch yield curves when it comes to inversions are the 10-year, 3-month Treasury curve and the 10-year, 2-year Treasury curve. Experts are split on which yield curve is most reliable in predicting recessions, but the Federal Reserve prefers looking at the curve between the 10-year and 3-month Treasuries, so let's start there. The 10-year, 3-month U.S. Treasury yield curve inverted for the first time since 2007 on March 22nd of 2019. It has been inverted pretty consistently since May 23rd of 2019, and over the last 50 years, the median span between inversions and recession starts has been 12 months, with a range of anywhere between 5 to 16 months. The Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland has a recession indicator that they have developed based on the yield spread between the 10-year and 3-month treasury curve that we just discussed. Probabilities rise for a recession when the spread narrows between the 3-month and 10-year treasury. This indicator was recently updated on August 29, 2019 and shows a 44.1% probability of a recession in the next year. For reference, that is the highest level it has risen to since November of 2007 when it was 46.03%. According to NBER, the Great Recession started in December of 2007. It's predicted each of the last seven recessions, and there were a few false positives in 1966 and 1998. Nothing is foolproof. And not to be outdone, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York also has a recession indicator of their own based on the same 10-year, 3 months treasury yield curve. It was updated as of September 4, 2019, and currently shows almost a 38% probability of a recession in the next year. That is the highest level it has risen to since October of 2007, when it was at 37.07%. Again, according to the NBER, the Great Recession started in December of 2007. A reading above 30% has preceded all recent recessions. This measure has breached the 30% threshold before every recession since 1960. Let's move on to the 10-year, 2-year yield curve. The 10-year, 2-year Treasury yield curve inverted for the first time since the financial crisis on August 14, 2019. From 1956, past recessions have started on average around 15 months after the inversion of the 10-year, 2-year curve, according to research from Bank of America Merrill Lynch. For more recent data from Credit Suisse going back to 1978, it shows that the last five 10-year, 2-year inversions have eventually led to recessions, with a recession occurring on average 22 months following the inversion. Currently, as of today, the 10-year, 2-year Treasury yield curve is not inverted. Another indicator of recessions has to do with Federal Reserve tightening cycles. So what is a tightening cycle or tight monetary policy? Tight monetary policy is a course of action undertaken by a central bank, such as the Federal Reserve, to slow down overheated economic growth or to curb inflation when it is rising too fast. A recent example, this is when the Federal Reserve raised the Fed funds rate, which they did in December of 2018. David Rosenberg, chief economist and strategist with Gluskin Chef, pointed out since 1950 there have been 13 cycles where the Fed's tightened interest rates and 10 of them have ended in recession. There are three times where rate hikes did not lead to recessions were due to the Fed stopping short of inverting the yield curve. So recessions have generally come after the Fed has finished hiking rates in the tightening cycle, not while they're in the process of raising rates. Again, they raised Fed funds rates in December of 2018, but the Fed cut rates at the end of the July and currently have a 91.2% probability of them cutting again in September. So for all intensive purposes, the rate tightening cycle is over. The next recession indicator that I would like to discuss is the leading economic index, also known as LEI, which is put out by the Conference Board on a monthly basis. The index is a combination of 10 sub-indicators, all of which tend to lead the overall economy. This indicator has never failed to roll over in advance of a recession starting. Historically, the average is 13 months from the LEI peak and it rolling over to the start of a recession. As of right now, this indicator has not quite hit the peak and rolled over. Finally, I would like to discuss a couple of proprietary indicators that have tended to be pretty good at predicting recessions. The first comes from Jeffrey Gunlack, who is founder of Double Line Capital, which is an investment firm. His indicator shows that when the current U3 unemployment rate is higher than the 36-month moving average, that recessions are very likely. Currently, the U3 unemployment rate is not higher than the 36-month moving average, so this indicator at this time is not calling for a recession. And the last indicator I'd like to talk about is from Ned Davis Research Group, a company that provides historical investment and economic research to investment professionals. It has its own proprietary global recession probability indicator, which currently shows a 92% probability of a recession. By no means is this a complete list of indicators that one could look at to get a sense of the probability of a recession occurring in the near future. But I do believe this is a good list of indicators that have had a consistent track record of giving investors a signal to be on watch for the possibility of a recession. Now that we've gone over a number of indicators, let's take a look back at the information and recap what it could be telling us. The 10-year, 3-month yield curve initially inverted on March 22nd of 2019, with it being consistently inverted since May 23rd of this year. Based on the average time between inversion and recessions of around 12 months and with a range of about 6 to 16 months, this would mean a probability of a recession from any time toward the end of this year, 2019, to the middle of 2020. The 10-year, 2-year yield curve inverted for the first time since the financial crisis on August 14, 2019. Based on the average according to research by Bank of America Merrill Lynch of around 15 months from inversion to recession, This would mean a probability of a recession toward the end of 2020. Again, this yield curve is not currently inverted and has not been inverted as consistently as the 10-year, 3-month curve, which is the preferred yield curve that the Federal Reserve looks at. We discussed the data from David Rosenberg in the 13 tightening cycles since 1950. Ten of these cycles led to a recession, with the other three times the Federal Reserve getting lucky and stopping short of inverting the yield curve. They did not get lucky this time because the yield curve has already inverted. From there, we discuss how recessions tend to occur after the end of these tightening cycles. The end of the current tightening cycle was in December of 2018 after the Federal Reserve cut Fed Funds rates in July with a 91.2% probability of another cut in September. Finally, while the leading economic index put out by the conference board and Jeffrey Gunlack's recession indicators are not currently indicating a recession, the Ned Davis Global Recession Indicator currently shows a 92% probability of one occurring. When we take a look at these indicators as a whole, it seems that the probability of a possible recession in the next year or so looks to be pretty high, but to repeat an earlier statement, it is very hard to predict when it will actually occur. So if indicators like the inversion of the yield curve that have been pretty consistent in predicting the probability of a recession have occurred, why are so many experts and economists out there saying this time is different? So let me start with a quote from Sir John Templeton, who was a legendary investor and mutual fund manager, who once said the four most expensive words in the English language are, this time is different. The reason why so many are claiming that it is different is because they argue that $17 trillion in negative-yielding sovereign debt is forcing foreign investors to stretch for positive yields, forcing them into treasuries, and sending a false signal about an impending recession. I don't believe that this is completely true, based on the fact that if you look at the calendar years through June of 2018 and June of 2019— There has been net negative purchases of U.S. Treasury bonds and notes by foreign investors, which would make sense based on the fact that when hedged into euros or the yen, Treasury yields are deep in negative territory. As a matter of fact, after hedging costs, 10-year Treasury yields are lower than the negative yields on 10-year German bonds or Japanese government bonds that they can purchase. So this would not be attractive to foreign investors, so I don't believe this is a good argument for this time it's different in terms of the inverted yield curve. The other argument that I hear is that even Fed officials don't see a recession coming. But let me take you back to some quotes from recent Fed Chairman. This first quote is from Alan Greenspan on January 3rd, 2001. The rate of economic growth continues to fall. Although it's by no means a breakaway on the downside, we're certainly not yet in a free fall. We are observing an inventory readjustment process. Again, that quote was from Alan Greenspan on January 3rd, 2001. A recession started in March of 2001 and ended in November of 2001. The next quote is from Ben Bernanke. The Federal Reserve is not currently forecasting a recession. He was quoted saying this on January 10, 2008. A recession started in December of 2007 and ended in June 2009. And finally, here's a quote from Jay Powell. There's no reason to think that the probability of a recession in the next year or two is at all elevated. He quoted this on September 27, 2018. So when is a recession starting? So as these quotes show, even the chairman of our central bank don't have the ability to call a recession, even though they have access to more economic information than anyone. I don't proclaim that I am any better in calling the beginning of a recession, but I do believe you disregard indicators that have had a good record of calling the increase in probability of a recession at your own peril. There is a quote from philosopher George Santayana, which I believe every investor should know. And it is, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So, what is an investor to do with the probability of a recession in the next year or so increasing based on these indicators? I think that this is a very important topic because the last recession that we had in this country started in June of 2007 and ended in December of 2009 according to the NBER. That means there are a lot of people sitting in the chairs as financial professionals that started in the last 10 years that have not been through a recession and don't have the experience of managing a portfolio of investments through one. Based on my 20 plus years in the industry helping to build financial plans and manage portfolios, here are a few items that investors should do or get help doing to prepare themselves for a recession before it comes, because it is always cheaper to hedge risk before it happens, not after it happens. So first of all, find a financial advisor who acts as a fiduciary in your best interest that has the experience of working with investors through all cycles, including recessions. To repeat, a number of financial advisors sitting in the chairs today don't have the experience or the ability to help you manage your portfolio through a recession because they were not around when the last one happened. Start with reviewing your financial plan to make sure that the plan is appropriate to meet your long-term goals and needs with the least amount of risk. If you don't have a financial plan, work with an advisor to help develop that plan. That advisor should be able to take the information from the plan to help build an appropriate asset allocation that is well diversified that can control the controllables to help make you successful. Second, make sure that you have enough put aside in cash or cash equivalents to handle your day to day expenses so you don't have to sell out of the portfolio at the wrong time when the markets are down or you're in a recession. With the average time frame of the last 11 recessions being 11.1 months and the Great Recession lasting 18 months, having somewhere between a year to two years of cash available would make sense based on your personal preference to ride out a recession. Third, work to keep your emotions out of play. Nobody is more emotional about their own money than you are. The number one reason why individual investors fail or have a hard time meeting their long-term financial goals and needs is because their emotions make them do the wrong things at the wrong time. Working with an advisor that can look at things objectively can help to make sure that you don't make those emotional mistakes that can affect the long-term viability of your plan being successful. Finally, build a long-term relationship with an advisor who can work to educate you, your family, and friends over time. The more you learn, the more comfortable you will be in handling periods like recessions. The education of investors is the one thing in this industry that is not commoditized. If an advisor isn't capable to take the time to educate you but is only interested in selling you a product, go find an advisor who can educate you. This will make a big difference in your financial life because an educated investor equals a successful investor. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors Podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking a part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do, as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors Podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors Podcast, its host Scott Peterson, and his firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held for liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors Podcast show.